Hello, this is Black Country Blokes Chewing the Fat. Listen, listen, listen. I've been hearing a lot lately about men don't talk. But in my experience, men do talk, just people aren't listening. So it's going to be me and a group of blokes discussing our struggles and victories through life. Warning, there may be some bad language, so apologies to all the moms, especially on my own. Let's get going. Listen, listen, listen. I've been yeah. This is Black Country Blokes, Tuna Fat, with me, Kev Dillon, Lee Cadman, Craig Finches, Aaron Jew, and our special guest today is Alexander Walker. Now, Alexander's already been on the show back in the real world when we were sat by the boxing ring, and you may also recognise him from our starting credits. You see him pop up at the end. Now, Alexander is a hypnotherapist, and he's doing remarkable work. Uh, I've been to see him personally. He's fantastic at what he does. He helped me get through a lot of my demons. Give me some brilliant advice, and, you know, I'll back him, you know, full-heartedly. I'll be brilliant what he does. Um, so, Alexander, first, will you explain what hypnosis actually is? Not hypnotherapy, not hypnosis, sorry. Yes. Um, thank you for uh, having me on today, uh, Kevin. So hypnotherapy, we are using uh, the power of the unconscious mind to help the client or patient resolve their issues. And it's basically getting them into a state of relaxation, uh, very similar to how you would be just before you go to sleep. This is kind of a deeper state where you are still conscious and aware of everything. And then we access uh, the potential of your unconscious mind to find answers that you already have. Because the idea here, like in counselling, for example, is that you already have the answers. The client already has all the answers, all the energy, everything they need to solve their own problems. So it's about finding, getting them to find the answers. So we don't really tell them what to do. They discover for themselves what to do. And then we somehow wrap that all up into a nice relaxation technique to get into them moving forward uh, afterwards after the session i mean it, it's brilliant and like so i've worked with nick davis as well who mm. also very good and it's um it's a very weird sensation the more you do it deeper you go into it don't you but i and i remember when we've talked about it before and people think well how about if at any stage if you're not comfortable you can wake yourself up, can't you? It's not like in stage hypnosis, like in Las Vegas, where they're making you walk around pretending to be a chicken. You know, it's if anything goes against your core values, you know, you're still conscious, aren't you? Absolutely. This isn't anything to do with what you just referred to. This is about therapy, and it's about the client being in control. Okay, so this is full transparency. We clearly explain to the client what's going on, what's going to happen. They're aware the entire time. And at any moment, they can stop. They can open their eyes, stand up and leave or whatever they want to do. OK, this isn't about manipulation. This is about helping them and relax and guide them to find their answers, to achieve the goals that they want to achieve. So, again, they tell us, they tell me what they want to achieve. And we only work on that. I remember when we were working with each other, it must be two years. It was, in fact, what started this up. So I was having problems, and I remember you saying, uh, why don't you get yourself a hobby? And I said, well, what am I going to do, Pilates or yoga? And then Aaron, had, I'd been on Aaron's show earlier in the year uh, on Find Your Voice, which is a brilliant podcast. If you want another podcast to listen to, please go up to Find Your Voice. And I was his first guest. 
Then I was invited down to a radio show in London. And, and I was thinking, I can do this. So I've got us four together. And you're the reason that give me the confidence to start this up. And I remember working with you and saying, um, like how we described it together, you were helping me find it. And I was saying, I'm meeting the world with a doorman. And if they can fight the doorman, then the diplomat is behind him. Then with your help, I said, haven't you got those in the wrong order? Have the diplomat at the start and then the doorman's there to back you up. And by saying that, it opened so many doors in my mind saying, I'm meeting people with aggression and then they're retaliating with aggression. And by talking to you and working with it, it brought me on leaps and bounds. That's wonderful, Kevin. And thanks for sharing that. And I just really want to emphasize that I didn't give you the confidence. You found that confidence in yourself, like you found the answers in yourself. Again, that's what we do. We we don't give you anything. We just, uh, well, if anything, we, we support you in finding those answers. So you did all that yourself. That was amazing work uh, that you that you did. I couldn't have done that without you. So, so you know, thanks to you. But, I, I mean, have any of you lots ever done uh, hypnosis. I have. Yeah, I have. So, uh, I, I initially thought it'd be like you know Paul McKenna show, where mm. um, you literally put to sleep. And I remember the first session I ever had. So I went for two reasons. I went one, I used to suffer with binge eating pretty pretty excessively. So having lost so much weight and suppressed myself from like, should we call them nice foods? Um, I used to find myself gorging every single weekend, and I'm I'm talking. 10 to 15,000 calories every single Friday, Saturday, Sunday, which was, which was not great. Um, and alongside that, I was just starting a master's course and I was always a shy kid growing up. So I was always a quiet one until you got to know me. And I said, I want a new chapter in my life that when I start this master's course, I don't want to be the kid at the back. I want to just be myself, how I normally feel with, you know, a bottle of beer in my hand. And I, I went to this lady um, and she, the first session I remember thinking, why am I paying for this? Because again, she was, she was kind of, it, was, it felt like affirmations. I didn't fall asleep or anything until probably the last two or three minutes where I, I felt myself dozing off. But anyway, I stuck by it. I trusted the process. And since that day, well, firstly, nobody knew that I had anxiety or shyness during my two years of master's. So it definitely worked in, in that respect. Um, and, and in terms of binging, from somebody who used to binge three times a week, I've probably binged three times in the last six years. And that's normally if I'm intoxicated with alcohol. So my experience with hypnotherapy is like, amazing like i i recommend it all all the time i think it's such a powerful thing and you just said something there alexander which was interesting which was that kev kevin kind of did the work and he found that confidence and as you were saying that i was thinking yeah somehow some way through what i went through with the hypnotherapy i found my confidence that i wasn't the shy person so i'd recommend it to anyone anyone who's um you know struggling in any facet of their life i'm not sure how far it extends to and maybe that's a question you can answer but for myself for binge eating and anxiety and shyness it was brilliant i also think like when you go to these things whether it's hitting a therapy or counseling you've got to go with an open mind you want to go because yeah. you want it to work and it's like coming up to the boxing gym and saying i want you to teach me how to box but my dad teached me how to do this and my brother taught me you can only learn if you're willing to listen to the teacher if you go with saying this isn't going to work, maybe you're not in the right frame to do it. What would you say about Alex? I think that's probably one of the, the one of the reasons why a contract is so important. It describes uh, what is expected of the client, what is expected of the therapist or counsellor. And a free consultation, I always give free consultations, I'm sure 
other therapists and counsellors do as well. So you can answer all of those questions. And I always make sure those questions, which are usually uh, asked, or even if they're not asked, they're, they're usually there in the mind somewhere. Um, I usually make sure those are all addressed because you can go and sabotage it. And we do expect some, some self-sabotage. It's, you know, it's expected in the therapy. But there needs to be a realistic expectation of what's going to happen. Why do you think people self-sabotage? I think we all are aware of the, um, of the idea that um, change is scary. And it's, it's a simple idea that change is scary. And it's about what can I deal with? Can I cope with how life was with all its, its limitations and, and stresses on me? Can I cope with that? Or ha is that enough? When is it enough? And if it becomes too much, that's when we usually see clients come, uh, come to, for therapy because they want to say enough is enough. Uh, I don't want to live the way I used to live. Um, but then we start to get that shift. The shift starts to move. And then there's that people in their lives start to notice that they are changing and they, they also may not like it. There's some resistance. And that person can get a little hostility from their family, from their friends, from their work colleagues. That person starts to stand up for themselves. And that is also part of the change. So they're going to start to feel, some of them, that they're being persecuted. And then it's natural to then blame the therapist or then say, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. It's not worth it. And then go back to the, how they were. So change is scary. It's new. And it's, uh, sometimes it's a way of, of saying goodbye to certain things. You know? Again, we mentioned earlier about loss. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it is a loss of the old lifestyle old activities and maybe some unhealthy relationships. So that's a big ask. And we really want to make sure the clients understand this because sometimes they're not aware of, of what might happen once they get to the end of their goal. And that's going to be beneficial for them, but it does also include losses. Well, we were talking about that the other week, saying like when you pack in the booze, when you pack in mm -hmm. the drugs, when you pack in, then your social circle, even though you're no longer drinking or doing drugs or X, Y, and Z, you can lose friends because they want drunken care. They want off the head, Darren, because that's what you are to them. And then when you sort yourself out, they don't want you to change because that's how you are to those people. Exactly. And then they have to look at themselves and they, and they don't like that uh, because then it's a way he can change or Kevin can change. And that idea is scary, or maybe I should change. There's things that I don't like about myself. And, of course, rather than look at ourselves, we then project that onto the other person. They're the one that's a problem, not the stuff I do. It's their problem. They're the ones. And they, you know, they persecute that person, sadly. And how many years have you been doing this for now? Uh, I think about three now. I think 2018, 19, 20, 20. About three years now. Um, I'm also uh, training as an integrative counsellor as well because I really feel the counselling is beneficial, helping people have a voice. Because hypnotherapy is essentially techniques, in my opinion. And uh, integrative counselling also adds things like person-centred approach. Uh, there's been um, scientific research that states it doesn't really matter what kind of modality or, or approach you use, um, the, the best one of the best measurements of success of therapy is the quality of the relationship between the client and the therapist or counselor. So this comes under a lot of person-centered style counseling. And I really just want to get better results for the clients. And uh, this is all 
all important in my opinion the relationship you have the quality of the relationship and also being able to offer other areas and other opportunities for that client to find their own answers have you felt with the lockdown being how how people i could go and see a dentist and have the dentist in my mouth i can go and have a chiropodist cut my toenails off but you in a lot of circumstances you haven't able to have a client going into a counselor hitting a therapist nlp practitioner's office wearing the appropriate ppe what do you think about it i think we're still dividing the physical health and the mental health too much Well, uh, I mean, that, that's that's an interesting point. I think for me personally, I, I have seen the value of, of doing online therapy, online counselling. It can be achieved. There are some limitations to that. Um, if that's what you're asking, I'm not sure. Maybe did I miss? And that, I mean, I, that was one of the questions. How do you find it in the real world to the virtual world? Hmm. But I, I was trying to say, I still think it's a bit weird how we can see the dentist shop this X, Y, and Z, but we can't go into a therapist's office. Does that make sense? Why, sorry, why can't we? I've, well, I've heard with different people like that um, I couldn't come into your office. A lot of people I've been talking to, a lot of people within the mental health, it's all gone on virtual virtual uh, sites instead of being in the flesh. Right. I see. Uh, I think that's, yeah. Okay, so I know some counsellors and therapists have a, a large area room and they've got like a proper exit they can come in and leave. Um, and I know other counsellors like myself, uh, we don't have that space um, for that. So, I, you know, I don't know about the dentists and the shropodists and the, the doctors. Um, but that, that's certainly an interesting point you're raising. Why can't we do that? Um I don't know. You know, this is a personal thing with the counsellors as well. They may not want to do that. Um, they may have uh, other responsibilities at home that they have to look after. Um, but online works very well. Uh, telephone as well. We even have email and texting therapies services as well. So there are a lot of uh, opportunities. And there are counsellors out there that still are able to offer that face-to-face -face because they have the, the room space to do that. That's good because, as I say, even though we're in 2021 and everyone's talking about mental health, mental health, mm. a lot of people still see the physical health and the mental health as the mental, uh, the physical health is real because you know you lost your eyes, you broke your nose, your legs fell off, you can and see then yet yeah, there's still that kind of stigma of I've heard of mental health, but is it all a load of poppers? Kind of attitude. I mean, yeah, um, that's yeah. I guess that's a common. That's a common attitude uh, for some people. You can't see it, so it's kind of like it's not there. Uh, but the mental health can, of course, uh, break out in physical illnesses, high blood pressure, uh, angina, you know, things like strokes. Um, they can. It's, it is real, and um, I think it's the next part of our evolution, isn't it? To come to face to face to accept that our mental health awareness is something real. <clears throat> And we do need to to work with it. Things like attachment issues, you can't see them, but you can see the behaviours uh, and how they affect in later life. All this information is there. It's been there for years. We just need to, I don't know, encourage people to look at their history, look at what we've been doing and be ready to accept the truth, I guess. 
um, that mental health is there, that the evidence is there, and we do need to be addressing it in every day and make it a part of our lifestyle. That's what I'm saying. Well, yes, and it's not just a throwaway word, is it mental health? It's not like um, through the lockdown we've all got used to saying social distance. It's all my mom, but it's a social distance. Mental health's been around forever, hasn't it? But hopefully we're moving in the right direction of normalising it or not normalising it, but accepting it for actual thing. Well, yeah, I think perhaps hundreds and thousands of years ago, we were all a, a closer collective uh, society. And perhaps Western society now, especially with technology, we go to our own rooms. We have our own mobile phones and devices. There's much more loneliness there now. Um, our elderly go to care homes away from us. And perhaps that sense of, of isolation would perhaps have maybe not have evolved to deal with that yet. Um, and so that, that can cause uh, an, an, an issue perhaps with, with mental health and we need to re and with isolation of course with covid um that will you know that will also affect uh, our mental health so we need to find ways around that um, craig have you got anything you'd like to say or ask alexander no at this moment if i'm honest mate i'm, I'm still just listening in and and taking it all in because i know like the hypnotherapy side when you say has anyone had it um I was always under the impression it was like what you said, Kevin, they turn you into a chicken and this, that and the other. Um, and I, I, I tend to not trust people too easily. So being under that impression and never inquiring about it, you always think that. But when you said that, um, you know, it's all about the person being in control as opposed to the manipulation, I think that's that's definitely something that, I'd never looked at before, and it's just blind ignorance, basically, because I, I never looked into it. So I always thought I'm never gonna, you know, have anyone hypnotise me or anything like this, because you know I don't trust. I don't trust they're not going to say this or do this or encourage this. Um, so that's I've got no real questions at the minute, but that's um, opened my eyes. You saying that I never really, even when Nick's been on Kev, I never looked at it and thought, you know, it's something I'd look at doing, but you know, never say never. Surprise me. <laughs> it's like when you're hypnotised, it's quite like, I'm not a football fan, as everyone knows. So it's like, if you support the Wolves, Alexander won't go, and now you support the Baggies. Because your mind's still there to go, no, I don't, or I don't agree with that. And if, if at any stage you wanted to just sit forwards and shake your head, you're, you're fully able to do it, aren't you, Alexander? Yes, and um, we, we kind of like put in a security at the beginning. Your unconscious will not accept any any negative statements or anything that will harm you. And why would I want to do that anyway? This isn't a movie. This is real life, yeah? We're in the business of helping people. If I did that to you, I'm not going to have a business. Right? People are going to know very quickly that, I'm, that I do irresponsible, stupid, foolish things for no reason. I don't do that. It's not part of what hypnotherapy is. It's a therapy. And you are in control of that experience. It's really like sometimes when I've left the office and uh, when I've been with you, mm. and you can you can feel emotional. You can feel like like some days like mommy said, and I go like, "How do you feel?" And sometimes I go, I "Feel alright." And other days it'd be like like a, t a, a key had turned, mm. and you'd be thinking, "Oh my neck!" It, it, it's ever such a strange feeling, but it, it's a good feeling, you know, and it's um. Knocking up, sometimes you're turning switches on, sometimes you're switching them off, or sometimes you're not thinking about you. If you're someone like me who's always thinking about something, sometimes I'm here, and then 
you can make peace with it. Or you go, blooming heck. That's why I was thinking about that. It was actually the thing I was thinking about, but I was thinking of that because that meant something else. But you've just put everything in order for yourself. Hmm. Yeah, I think something of what you're talking about there, Kev, is we don't know where that stuff comes from, not always. And when we find, when we're able to shine a light on it, it's like, oh, it, that's where it comes from. And then it loses its mysticism and it's, it kind of like just disappears sometimes. And then other times it's about, it's about challenging that negative thought, that negative belief. And when you are able to put doubt into a belief, say, for example, um, everything I do is wrong. Uh, you can start to then look at that to start thinking, why do I think everything I do is wrong? Is everything I do wrong? That can't be possible, can it? And then you start to look at that and you start to see the cracks in the logic. And from then you can start to sort of chip away at it and break it down and dismiss it. Um, but again, it depends what kind of therapy you want to address, which issues, because that is definitely part of something else. And if you want to get rid of that on its own, you can use that you can use hypnotherapy for that. If you want to talk about it a bit more, find your own voice and find why those things are happening, possibly counselling because it's a lot longer, you can explore a lot more, would be a benefit uh, to you as well. I think all of the therapies have some value is what I'm trying to say there. And you've got to realise when you go out to these things, if one thing doesn't work, don't give up with the whole thing. It's like going to a restaurant, isn't it, and having a bad meal. Do you give up on all restaurants because you had one bad meal? No. Or do you give up on steak because someone overcooked your steak? No. You go to another restaurant or maybe the chef had a bad day or something. Maybe you go to another restaurant or uh, you know, something else like that. Don't give up on therapists. You've got to find the right one for you. We, we don't always uh, gel perfectly with everyone we meet, and that's okay too. Because you're also doing this wonderful thing called Caring for the Carers in partnership with Dudley Mind, aren't you? That's right. Sandra Vaughan, Chief Executive, uh, helped me set that up. Uh, well, she's basically set that up and uh, I'm sort of leading that. Caring for the Carers, it's on uh, Fridays now. We've moved it to Friday mornings. And that's really, again, finding helping carers find their own voice and explore their feelings. Because it's kind of a challenging lifestyle that you constantly have that doesn't really doesn't pay anything um, and it's kind of put upon you we don't choose to be carers uh, in, in these contexts and it's really about giving time uh, and a voice and a safe space for those carers to talk about what they've been going through how they're feeling um, some issues we've, we've, we've noticed are people feeling sort of perhaps undervalued Perhaps not notice the attention naturally goes towards the person that's that is in need of care. Say, for example, if you have a child with special needs, the attention naturally focuses on them, and we kind of forget everyone around them. And so, this is kind of for those for the carers to come and just able to be reminded that they're important as well. We need those people as well. And how are you feeling? get back in touch with those feelings you may have been holding back because there's this attitude of needing to be strong, isn't there? You've got to be strong when you've got, when you're caring for someone else 24 hours a day, it's exhausting. You think about it, you know it is. And so this is a safe place for you to come. It's on Zoom and um, you can join the group and just, yeah, give you time to talk about whatever you want to talk about. 
Well, Lee, would you like to chime in with that? Yeah, I think it's I think it's fantastic. Um, I, I've recently come the carer for my for my daughter, mm. and I, I bet it's great to have a group of people who've been through similar experiences. You know, I think I think the disabled and the carers some of the most discriminated against people, probably in the UK. Um, I found myself every little thing you you, you have to do within regards to care for my daughter or getting into school plays or getting equipment, it's all one big fight, um, you know, for these basic rights of being able to go to school or, or being able to get hospital appointments at the moment. So I think having a group of people where you can go in there and they've had those shared experiences, it's only a bonus. Yeah, thank you. Can I, can I ask you a question, Lee? Of course. Um, so, ha have you how have you find found the support uh, so far from other agencies, other services for your daughter? Um, it, it varies. It just varies. I mean, some of it's great, like the school she's in now. They're they're absolutely fantastic, and the nurses within that school. You know, we get weekly welfare calls. Um, uh, that side of things great, but. It, I think a lot of the a lot of the time and issue is for me is a lot it's a lot of chasing up and a lot of trying to find out uh, where things are medicines equipment that sort of thing definitely needs improving. Mm. Is that a common thing that they talk about, Alex? Obviously, we can't go into what you talk about privacy issues, but is that like something that people say? Like sometimes they feel failed by the system. Well, I, I don't know about that, but the the the, this, the overall feeling is that there are a lot of different agencies and a lot of different rules, uh, and they're all trying to sort of address the same issue. And it's not it's the the legislation isn't that accessible, and you could have been some some found that they they were eligible for certain things, and then time passed and they were no longer eligible, and then others found vice versa they weren't, and now they are, and nothing seems to have changed other than the passage of time. So there, there is this sort of inconsistency, and of course it, it breeds anxiety and worry. Like, they, even though it's a law and it's written, they don't really know how or when they get to take advantage of that. And so, the, yeah, there's a lot of sort of stress around what am I entitled to, when are we going to get it, and how long will it last? These kinds of questions are quite common. I think it's also very hard to find some of that information out. Um, yeah. uh, you know, f for my for my job, I I um, sold disability equipment, uh, majority to children, or, well, to the parents for the children. And the amount of times I'd go around someone's house and they they wouldn't know the basics of what they can claim for, or what funding is out there available to buy certain things. It, it was astonishing. Um, and it's a lifeline, you know. There's there's plenty. There's there's carers out there who are caring full time and don't even know they can they can get a carers allowance. Yeah. And to me, that's amazing. You know, they need we need. For me, I think once once your child is is registered disabled, there ought to be someone in place who comes round and explains all this to you, um, and and points you in the direction of where you may be able to get this this funding or or or. Um, or carers allowance or anything where you can get these things from so you can go down the path then of finding it because a big stress for me is definitely money you know we we, we went from two two family to um, me and my wife working 
to only one of us working. So straight away, you've cut your household income in half and the stress is around that. And then there's the extra, the extra stress of caring for a disabled daughter, the money that cost. You know, uh, at one point we were spending £150 a month on, um, on probes, things like that, things that you probably wouldn't think of, you know, but it, it's, it's an expensive game. It really is. I think sometimes when you've got to fill out the paperwork, it's almost that like you've got to justify it. And you're thinking, um, you know, some, some illnesses like me and my eyes or colour, it's not like I pulled my back or it's not like you're trying to get off on the sick. It is a genuine illness. And some of the forms you have to fill in, you're thinking, well, I'm not a crook. I'm either disabled or my child is disabled. Kev, we have other prime example that we we have um, social services involved in Callas Care, and when they come round, now most people hear social services and go, oh, "Oh, they must be doing something wrong here. They must be doing something wrong with their kids." And when the lady comes round and actually assesses us, it feels like that as well. You know, she she asks she asks for the the kids to the other two kids to come downstairs if they're upstairs so she can talk to them and ask how they are and whether they're happy. And all all we actually have social services there for is because they provide four hours of care a week or four hours that we can use for care a week for another person to come in. But we really, even the way the letters are written, once they've decided how many hours we get, you, you feel like you're in the spotlight and you feel like you've done, you feel like they're looking for something that you've done wrong. Whereas that's not that at that stage, that's not their job. It's, if their job is to decide how many hours Kala did uh, extra care she needs. And it, it, it's intimidating for people. Once again, Alexander, without thieving too much, is that a reoccurring thing that people talk about? Absolutely. If you look at the, uh, the guidelines for the British Association of uh, Counselors and Psychotherapists and you compare that to uh, the guidelines of social workers, the, the wording is very different. Uh, the counselling aspect is very sort of friendly. It's very person-centred. It's caring and supporting. With the social workers' guidelines, it's very much you're an agent of change. And it's very sort of like you're going out there to prevent things happening. You're stopping things happening. Um, you're doing the good. Uh, you're doing the good thing. So they're, they're out there active, trying to find, um, you know, an issue that they can, they can stop. The, so the, the the wording is very different. So it, it, it embodies that kind of attitude, unfortunately. Um, that's that's been my experience from reading the legislation. Anyway, um, can I can I just jump in as well? Um, yeah. Just on that, that's that's really interesting. You said that. So um, when I went back to uni to do masters, it was actually in social work. So I actually became a social worker for a very small amount of time. So one of my work experiences was working with adults and doing. Uh, some similar stuff to what you you were on about Lee in terms of helping people with carers allowance and things like that. Um, um I think it, it was really a difficult decision for me giving up social work because myself and my cohort we joined that to try and change the world. As naive as that might sound, we genuinely wanted to help people. And again, you mentioned mentioned person centered approach. I learned that at university in terms of treating people with dignity, compassion, respect, and all all of that protocol there. And it. I very quickly realized, and I probably had one of the better social work jobs in terms of, I was a supervising social worker, so I worked with foster families. Mm. You recognize it becomes 
more of a paperwork. I used to say we're not social workers, we're paperworkers. And to, to the point that you want to be out there helping families, you know, telling them about all this stuff that they're entitled to, trying to support them. But what I realized was when I was looking around my peers, we were amazing people outside of work. But it's the moment you come into work, you're almost programmed just to abide by guidelines, a bit like an agent, to the point everything is a tip box ex exercise. And within about three or four months, I very quickly realized like sunk cost fallacy. I had to then jump out of this because I thought I'm either going to resent this and I'm not going to be able to help no one or I can leave this and actually try and help people in a different way. And my heart goes out to a lot of social workers because I sometimes think they are the brunt of everything, but your hands are tied behind your back because you're coming into the office and you're saying to your supervising manager, for example, and obviously they got their own stresses that I need to be with this family for more than four hours a week or more than that. And they're like, you get 15 minutes every fortnight or 15 minutes a month. And, it makes it very, very difficult. So kind of defending the social workers because I understand what it's like there. Um, I, I know why I studied it. I know why 99% of them study. They want to be in a similar position to yourself, Alexander, in terms of promoting change and helping people. But sometimes it's, it's all about the job, isn't it? It's about KPIs, getting stuff done, having certain reports done. And, and that's, that's a shame because it's one of the jobs that can actually make a positive change as well. Yeah, but the workload is so much. And, so you know, much. Everything is just on them. Uh, they can get into trouble so easily. It just everything Absolutely. is. So they've just got such a, a, a stressful job that they have to make sure that they cover themselves. Uh, but that you also want to help people at the same time as well. And you got to make calls. Make, make a wrong call as a social worker. You know, not only have you damaged your own reputation, your, your own job, but you know, you've, you've, you've potentially hurt somebody, or even worse. So yeah, exactly, I don't yeah. need that job at all. And my heart goes out to social workers. We do need them. Um, but I was just really talking about the legislation, the way it's worded is, is yeah. for me, it's kind of a bit more aggressive than mm -hmm. counsel psychotherapist guidelines. You can definitely tell in the literature the kind of attitude they want you to adopt. As I think you've, you've illustrated. So thank you. Yeah. yeah, I think you're right. I think that, sh that kind of shows in my experience. Because as I say, I, I feel like when they come, when that person comes around that, I'm treated like someone who is potentially abusing their child, mm. not not someone who has a disabled child, and we just need a bit of extra help with getting a carer in. And I think that um, there needs to be a separation there. You know, you, you're going into two totally different households. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of them just get desensitised as well in that environment to the point that that level of empathy or feeling, it just, it just kind of disappears because i've sat with some social workers who've only been in there two or three years and i've gone and listened to a story for example from a family and i'm almost like in tears just hearing you know the struggles and especially carers like i'm, I'm, I'm so happy we're doing the caring for carers here because carers are, are you know they're the superheroes of this world you know they're not they're not getting paid nothing it's all they've, they've obviously then got their own stresses for giving that time up and i used to watch them and i used to look at some of the more experienced social workers and think Hasn't this affected you? This is making me crumble. And I used to ask that question sometimes. And they just said, you just kind of get used to it. And I was like, well, I don't want to just get used to it because then you lose that little bit of element of the human connection as well, which which is a shame. And I think what, what you're talking about there as well, possibly is burnout as well. You get desensitized to it. So you kind yeah. of lose empathy. You stop caring. And that's when, again, um, things can get on top of you and the job can get sort of really toxic and start to resent it could start to give you more stress you stop caring you start to make mistakes and this can happen in any profession so you got to be because i mean personally i think that's bad advice my opinion is that's bad advice you just got to get used to it 
but I've never been a social worker, so I, I, I don't know. But personally, don't get used to something. If it causes a problem, it should cause a problem. And maybe you need to go away and perhaps have counselling or some sort of therapy to sort of help you work yourself, work through it. Because we've got to look after our physical and our mental health. This should be the one thing I'd like everyone to take away from this is the mental health is important. It's not just once or twice every two years. It's a regular thing. It doesn't have to cost money. You don't have to go to therapy or counselling to get that same mental health, wellness. You can do other things. It can be engaging in hobbies. It can be physical exercise as well. It can be going out and learning new things, pushing out yourself outside of your comfort zone or take your comfort zone with you to new places, if that helps. Yeah, it's about personal development. Well, on that note, Lee, will you show our poster again, please? It's a bit of a segue, but we're doing our support group every Wednesday, and it's for free. No money whatsoever for men over 18 years of age. You can come and have a chat from nine, uh, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. At 8 o'clock, we have a little 10-minute break where we have a cup of coffee, cigarettes if you want one. Um, and then in the real world, from the 14th of April, when the club's officially back open, we'll be doing a half an hour chat, 40 minutes boxing training. Then once all them endorphins are bouncing around, we'll warm down and once again finish with another chat. So let's get the physical and the mental body working together. So if you want to come to one of our sessions, uh, obviously we're in the Black Country in Brawley Hill, please, what's our email address, Mr Cadman? So it's blackcountryblokes at gmail.com. And if you could send that in within 24 hours of the 7 o'clock, just because you have to go through the COVID tests, just proving that you're well to come. Once you're there, you'll be temperatured and we're sitting at a safe distance. So, yeah, I mean, um, Alexander, I mean, as I said before we, um, we come on, I said, have you got any tips or facts uh, that you uh, some tips that people can take away from this episode well uh, a lot of people lately are getting having a lot of difficulty sleeping so i figured um just a very basic uh, couple of strategies on how to get a good night's sleep obviously if you're in bed with your phone or watching tv stop that immediately put that away because your brain is getting used to being active whilst it's in bed we don't want that for this so what we want you to do is uh, put down your phones, turn off your TVs. If you're worried about trying to get to sleep, you lie down and we want you to be in the moment. So we don't want you thinking about what you did terribly wrong 10 years ago or what you've got to do tomorrow. We want you to be in the moment, in the present. So I want you to, you can practice this anywhere, but specifically in bed, you lie down and just notice how the bed feels against your back, against your legs and how the duvet or sheets feel on top of your body and how your head feels against the pillow. And notice the temperature, notice the softness, and notice anything else that you may be experiencing in that moment with you lying down in bed. And what I want you to do then is to start imagining or start remembering the last time you had a really good night's sleep and how that felt in your body, how it felt in your toes. Start imagining really, really sleepy toes and what that might feel like for you. And then imagine how that might feel like in every other part of your body. That real beautiful sleep, sleepiness in your body in that present moment in time. Okay. Because it's about being in the moment and that's all that moment is for, for you and your sleep. So I need to try and practice that, everyone. Okay. 
And you can practice this uh, when you're sitting down as well. If you just want to get that moment away from everything where you're not thinking about what you have to do next, you're not thinking about what you have done yesterday or what you have to do in the future, you've got a moment to yourself. Think about that. Be aware of how your body feels and how it's reacting to the chair, how your feet are feeling in your shoes, in your clothes, underneath. And take that moment to be in that moment. That's that's all I have to say for that. So thank you. Because so, I think like with... Um... I went on tour with a boxing in 2019 and mm. one of the coaches had his phone. I was like, I never have my phone in the bedroom. And he, we were sharing a hotel room, me and uh, one of the coaches. Mm. And I was lying there and every bloody 10 minutes or so, beep, 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 or, or it flash. And I, I, I wasn't used to it. I was thinking, how can you switch off? Because that natural part of me would have to keep going, who is, oh, it's Alexander, oh, it's Lee. So, just turn it off. If you need, if that's your alarm clock, buy yourself an alarm clock, you know, for the sake of a tenner, but it might give you a better night's sleep. It's about being in the moment, but you have to have the right environment. So don't leave your TV on standby. Don't leave your phone charging overnight if you, if you can help it, because that's not going to be good for you either. And be in the moment and just take the time to imagine and remember a good night's sleep, a deep sleep, and how that felt in your mind and body. And just encourage that to come. And it then naturally comes to you. It comes back to you. And that just help you drift into a sleep. Because you suffer your sleep, don't you, Craig? I do, mate, yeah. Um, nightmares or just un- just unrest. Um, you know, a lot going on with my family at the moment. Like last mm-hmm. night, struggled. Um, and I tend to find, even physiologically, you know, my stomach acts up. They they reckoned it was IBS, but um, colon cancer and that runs in my my family, um, and we're having a tough time with it at the moment. And I've had all the checks and nothing. And the doctor said to me it could be stress. And I said, well, my partner said to me last night, your stomach tends to be really bad when you've just had some bad news. And yesterday I had some really bad news, um, and it was really cramping up last night, and I couldn't sleep, and I was in tears and. Um, it, it, I just don't sleep if I find I can't shut off or I've had some bad news and a lot of what I do is I think of I'm, I'm quite a visionary I'm, I'm a creative and I, I tend to find like being a creative you just can't shut off naturally anyway um, if you try and clear your mind you start telling yourself other things so it did happen like this for me Right, don't think of this, don't think of that, don't think of this, oh, think, think, think of this. And then it was just this. And then I'd be thinking about what I was telling myself not to think about. Um, so I do tend to find I do have really bad sleep patterns. I think that's, that's very interesting. If I can just come in there for a moment, Craig. Uh, yeah, don't think about this. Your, your mind starts thinking about what you should be thinking about. You say you're creative, visually I heard there, I think. So for you, perhaps, it's something about what would be a good technique for using hypnotherapy all the time is a safe place for relaxation, a safe favorite place for relaxation. It can be real or imagined and you go there. No negativity or any negative thoughts is allowed there. It's just for healing and relaxation and where you can find answers. Now, whatever that may be, you close your eyes and you just see what your unconscious gives you. And if you get any negative stuff coming in, uh, just reject it. And then this is about practicing the technique. Okay and seeing where it takes you to. 
Um, we practice this stuff all the time, but uh, my heart goes out to you, Craig. Yeah, I, I know somewhat of what you're talking about. Thank you. And, and like, as you just said, any technique, you know, I'm willing to try absolutely anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I did the whole deleting of every social media and mm-hmm. I just started listening to, I know you say don't like keep your mind active, but I started like, cause I couldn't sleep. I'd, I'd have my earphones in. I'd be listening to um, books, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, or anything that was of any value, motivational, old sayings, and, and like just factual things or yeah. um, just things that I could go to sleep listening to. And then I'd find that I'd fall asleep, but then I'd wake up and have to turn the thing off. And it was sort of counterintuitive in the end. So it's, yeah. I'm willing to try anything. <laughs> yeah. So I, I would I would strongly recommend recommend that uh safe favorite place of relaxation try not to use your conscious mind to visualize it try to see what your unconscious mind gives you and then almost sort of like you're walking through the the darkness trying to find what it looks like and then the light comes on and it sort of it starts to show you what it is and then you can sort of start to explore it okay and just got to say to you unconscious i'd like you to take me to a safe favorite place of relaxation um this is only for positive feelings here. Deep thoughts of relaxation and healing are available here. Stay favorite place of relaxation and see what your unconscious gives you to work with and, uh, and get to sleep in that way. At least that way, it will start to give you a stronger, safe environment in your mind that you can retreat to. It may be different every time you use it as well. So don't worry about that either. Okay. Thank, thank you for that because, you know, um, I've been listening to you and I don't feel like I've been able to add any kind of value to the conversation, if I'm absolutely honest. So I've just been absorbing. So, you know, you've just gave me something there that could potentially um, see me on a better path. So I really, really appreciate that. Thank you. Absolutely fine. You can use a, te- a countdown from one to ten as well. Uh, with each descending number, you relax deeper, more deeper into a natural state of relaxation. Do it slowly in your mind before you then go to a safe favorite place of relaxation the more you practice it the better results you'll get and that's all i can give you for the time being right. but i, I still i still do that this um day if i'm going through i do thing. yeah I, I i get myself down i lie down i go get my breathing right and the counting it's like 10 getting deeper relaxing nine all the way down and then i, I remember some of the stuff you got me doing like uh, i had to like, get a trolley with negative thoughts in there and i'll, I'll throw it on the fire and once, once all they've gone, you know, then I, I, everything is gone. Then I try and refill myself up or I say, let it all, all the negative just go out of your fingertips and your toes now. And, and yeah. it, I, I, I can't praise hypnotherapy enough. And so anyone, you know, uh, go and try it. Yeah, I think I just, just, sorry, just check uh, the training of the therapist first. Just do that because it's not regulated. So just check that they've had at least a good year or so training before you uh, go to them okay that's my you're, you're also saying off there about the power of words mm. you, you, would you like to go into that, like how we're saying like um i must i must do this yes um so a couple another technique this is for people and i think the majority of us feel this at sometimes we don't feel in control so this technique is to just ask yourself, give you, write down three sentences of something you have to do, something you must do, and something you 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 should do, okay? And um, usually we do this, we get you to write that down, and then afterwards we then give you 
change the uh, the should and the must and the have to into uh, choose. I choose to do something. Uh, for example, uh, I must I must go to work. I choose to go to work and see and notice in your body and in your mind any changes, any shifts that happen when you replace that. Because what you may find is that that starts to give you a little bit more of empowerment, independence, that you are choosing to do it. Now, for some of you, it may be actually very difficult for you to do that for another sentence. It may be like, no, I can't do that. And that's also very interesting. And I'd like you to just explore why that may be difficult for you to do that, because it may be that once you change it to choose to do it, you realize you're not doing it and you don't have a good enough reason as to why you're not doing it. So that's very interesting. That's just a little insight that I can give you uh, that you can practice on yourselves at any time. Okay. Hopefully that's clear. Well, it is, isn't it? <clears throat> when you go, oh, I've got to go to the club tonight because I've got to do, me, I've got to get me running. I've got to, but if you go, I choose to go to the club, but I want to get my running because if I get my running, I'm going to feel fitter. But that, that instant of, I've got to get it in, or yeah, got to and, do that, it. and that old saying, um, by my age, you know, I should be somewhere better now, or should I should have a missus, I should have my own house. And it's like, as you said, it's like your parents saying, Well, you should be financially better off now. And by that word alone, that puts pressure on us, doesn't it? Yeah, who is telling you you should be doing something? Try and think about who, who is telling you that because. That's that's probably not correct. You you know you are where you are, and nobody could have predicted this. So you you really are where you should be at this moment in time, whether you believe in 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 everything has a meaning or not. You are where you should be, based on your choices, and you have had choices, and these are your choices. You just got to change that perception to realize that you are there because you choose to be, and. Even though we can't choose everything that happens to us in life, we can choose how we respond to this. I think I spoke about Aaron, uh, to Aaron, didn't I, uh, about about this choosing yeah. response uh, to something, and that that will really help you empower, uh, feel empowered, and, and create a more internal locus of control to reference Carl Rogers, uh, rather than have a lo an external locus of control where you feel everything is controlling your life. You have this internal locus of control. You feel more empowered and um, you can have a better attitude with your life just by changing a couple of those words as to what you feel you should do or will do or want to do and what you choose to do. I think that's, if, if I can interject there as well, I think that's, it's mad you should say about the things you are exactly where you should be. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, I'll try and tell myself that, you know, if if I'd have, I don't know, made a success of myself 10, 15, 20 years back, I may have lost it all because I wouldn't have valued it as much. And I think a lot of my sleepless nights come as well because I put myself under so much pressure. Someone said to me lately, you're taking too much on again because mm -hmm. I, I tend to find I burn the candle at both ends. Um, I try and, like, master everything within a really short period of time because I feel within myself that I'm playing catch-up for my 20s, there are ways, late teens and early 20s, there are wasted just clubbing or having a drink and this and all that. So I'm trying to hold myself accountable for that now, but make up for lost ground. And, and I think that that's, it's just, it's just a vicious circle, is that? So what do you do? Work-wise? 
No. So what do you do with that situation? You're burning the candle at both ends. You, you, you've got all these issues going on. So what do you do? What is the answer for you? At, at the minute, I just continue doing it. You know, I'll go from, if it's not education, it's this that, and the other. And I'll just go from, if I've had enough, I've got information overload with that book. Um, then I'll just move on to the next educational one. And I said to you, Kev, that lately I feel that I've, I've reached our information overload and I've, I've said to my partner, I'll end up having a breakdown because I feel, I feel I'm putting myself under, I'm in the pressure cooker. Um, so lately what I've been doing is I've just been, let's say going on YouTube and, and just random topics like land navigation. I've been learning how to navigate land using a compass and a map or lock picking, you know, and then very random um, subjects, but they're not ones that, they're more like of a hobby nature as opposed to trying to like make a success of myself. So I'm just trying to, you know, negate the pressure cooker, cool the pressure cooker down a little bit with some random subjects, but still learning, believe it or not. Just less sort of stressful. Yeah. Craig, can I just jump in on that as well? Um, I, I might be completely segueing too much, but I, I find that personal development, it's, it's a great thing, but it can also be a curse as well because you almost get addicted to personal development to, to an extent. Um, and it can, it can cause either like analysis by paralysis where in terms of you're just constantly learning and you're never actually moving forward or executing on, on something, or you have that feeling. And I think you suffer from this because I, I, I used to struggle with it, is that if you're not where you think you, you should be, for example, in life, it, you almost put it down to, I haven't worked hard enough. And sometimes it's just it's just a process. It, 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 maybe it's meant to take 10, 15, 20 years. But because you're on this personal development journey where, you know, you're learning so much and your, your brain's throbbing 24-7, I do find it a gift and a curse. So for myself now, I try and be very specific with the stuff I let come into my mind in terms of personal development. I went through a stage, I think in two or three years, I read 250 books and I wore that like a badge of honor. But all I was doing was just learning for the sake of learning. And I was like, I don't need to know like X, Y, and Z. I need to know how to manage my anxiety. So I left. I read how to stop worrying and start living, for example. I need to understand the growth mindset. So I, I read the mind. And then what I did is I got those books and they're literally here within arm's reach. And that's what I read. That's the same stuff. And every time I read it, I, I get something new from it. But mm. it stopped me beating myself up. I'm not sure if that kind of resonates a little bit with yourself. But I did find personal development is a bit of a trap in, in terms, at least for myself, because I beat myself up. And I'd almost feel guilty for listening to music or doing something like watching a YouTube video and lock picking. Like I felt like I had to be learning something in that moment. And that's not a good place to be in because you know, that, that's not what all life is. Like you, you've just learned a new skill there that, you know, you can add to your arsenal. Yeah. I obsess. Um, I live to extremes and it's, it's getting worse and worse as I get older, but I do obsess as you say, and you do get that information overload and that, that analysis paralysis. And I find that, I wanted. I want to do it. I love self development. It, it is like it is like a drug. It's addictive, yeah. Yeah, but you're, you're addicted to the hike. But then when you look down and you're still treading the same ground, that's when it becomes it, it becomes bad for for your 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 health, uh, your mental health. It's like going to the gym too much, isn't it? You need time to recover. Absolutely, absolutely. But we don't so see what, it, do we? Like you say, if we put ourselves under that cosh, we continue to do it. And then you feel bad if I have a day off. And I think even when I go on holidays and my partner says, you're normal when you're on a day out. I said, I'm still not there because I'm still thinking what I should be doing or what I, I'm going to do when I get back work-wise. Um, and then you're, I lie awake at night and I feel guilty because I've, 
I've been working so much in my every now and then my son say, Can you play dad? And in a minute, in a minute, let me just finish this spreadsheet or just finish this. And then before you know it, he's playing with someone else or he's watching the TV and you think, Oh, so then you've got the guilt and it's just a vicious circle, but you know, but we did, learned to did, did you hear what word jumped up again then? Should. Yeah. Every time sure. I know what and what Aaron said, he goes, um, I shouldn't be. And it's it's a word that we throw around so much, but it, it's should is one of the worst words out there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because it, it's, I, every time we talk about something negative, and both of you did it, should was in the sentence. Yeah. So it's like, I should be doing this. So if, I, if, I, if I'm not doing this, then I'm not of value. If I'm not reading a book every so often, then I'm not of value. If I'm not doing the self-development, then I'm not of value. Who told you that? Where did you get that from? Because that isn't that isn't healthy, obviously, because you should be able to do – sorry, I've done it myself. Uh, <laughs> He's a hypocrite. <laughs> but the point is you, you should, because you're not doing it, you should be able to find the time for all – all everything in, in your life to look after this and to enjoy the moment, to enjoy the present. That's what you should be doing um, as a human being. But you're thinking, no, I should be doing this and I should be doing that. Um, now, perhaps I'm a bit of a hypocrite because I said should, but whatever you want, if that's if that's your life, if that's how you want to live your life, then then that's fine. But if it's causing you problems, how much how much of those problems are, are affecting you, you know, your health? And uh, do you want to do something about it? That's really what you what you must look at, I guess. And yeah. I think a lot of times we start thinking about where where do other people see me? Or as I said, by the time I'm thirty, I should be married. I should have a husband. I should have a wife. I should have children. And you're thinking, why? The opportunity wasn't there, or the opportunity was there, but it wasn't the right opportunity because it wasn't with the right person. And I think we we go too much on where we believe others think that we should be. And really, who cares what those other people think about my life anyway? Do you think it's um do you think a lot of it is we we've got so much to compare ourselves to of people age and, and you know, whatever it is. I mean it's like with time when you say, I don't have time and I don't have time and you spend too much time, you know, back Back in the earlier days, it was sun up and sun down. And you knew you had, a, we, we put ourselves down to seconds and minutes now. Look, I can only spend 10 minutes on this and 10 minutes on that. Whereas back then it was sun up and sun down. And you had that amount of time to achieve what you had to achieve, make the ground up that you had to make. And and now we, we're just down to seconds and milliseconds and minutes. And, and I think we hold ourselves too much. Even the invention of the mirror, you know, we can see imperfections and flaws and that that can be a metaphorical sense as well um and i think that may be where it comes from even with me subconsciously i look and think bloody i'm 32 years of age i've got two boys i want this for them by the time they're my age mm-hmm. so then you're molding yourself accountable <clears throat> and you you're putting yourself to the minute of the clock as opposed to saying look in this day as long as i achieve this it don't matter how long i spend on it what do you say alexander yeah, uh, if you're taking if you're taking all that responsibility and you're and you're owning it and saying this is my responsibility, 
and that's what you're going to do, then okay. And if it's causing you problems, sleeplessness, physiological symptoms, anxiety in your stomach, then that's something else you need to look at, right? And it kind of, it sounds like you kind of know because you talked earlier about the pressure cooker. You don't want to get to that, that, that stage with a pressure cooker. You mentioned something else. Sorry, I forgot now what it was um, about, get, about doing too much. Um, get, get into like a, a state, a state where you, your, your health is just so debilitated. So it, you, you have that idea of, of where it might go wrong for you. That's why I asked, so what do you do? So what, what are you going to do about it? So you're aware of it. And now's the time to find that answer, Craig. Thank you. Yeah. Something, to, something to look at. I will definitely, um, I just definitely need to take a step back, you know, and, and not take a day off in respect to stop um, self-development, but maybe refocus my time in taking the step back to see how I can continue self-development without regressing, you know, my mental health or, or, or my physical health, you know, because I'm trying to advance and then I'm, I'm just regressing other parts of me and it, it's just going to intuitive. So I think maybe just take a step back and, and see how I can go forth. Can I ask a I question, think, Craig? Sorry. Oh. Oh, just a quick question. Look, after every time you read a book, every time you go, well done, Craig, you've just finished Aaron Jew's autobiography or I've learned how to pick a lock now. Or are you like, learn how to pick a lock and as soon as you've learned to Google in something else, maybe you've got to just give yourself a day just to go, you know, well done, I've done that and absorb the knowledge. So I never do that. Like I, if I read a book, not only do I read the book, but I've got a paper the side of me. So if a word comes up that I'm, I don't know, I'll write that word down then I have to research what that word means. So each... Each page of a book leads to a page of a different book to learn the word or, or, or whatever it is. And as soon as the book's closed and finished, I'm just thinking on to the next one. You know, I don't even digest it. So, um, again, something to look at is stop trying to take in too much information. I think this is where we get self-development wrong, though. Self-development's about experiences, not, not what you're reading. Ultimately, you could read 3,000 books. I was very much like Aaron. You know, I could read 10 books in a week at one stage quite quite happily. But the problem is, if you're reading 10 books in the week, you're not actually experiencing anything. And what knowledge are you actually gaining if you're not, doing, if you're not following through with that knowledge? <laughs> Very true. Um, before we finish up, I think we've had a couple, have we had a couple of questions? Have seen something pop up? <laughs> I like how you threw that back to me there, Craig. Yeah, I, was, I, I, I started saying we've had a couple of questions and I thought, bloody hell, I've signed myself up here. But you might as well carry on now, Lee, now you're talking. <laughs> Fair way, let's get rid, of the, get rid of that other banner first and then. Okay, so Gemma Hawkins asks, Alex, do you think this is the fault of the parents and educators? Not wanting to blame, but where does this voice come from? Okay, well, thanks, uh, thanks, Gemma. So, do you think this is the fault of parents and educators? So, I'm not entirely sure what you are referring to, but you mentioned the voice, not wanting to blame, but where does this voice come from? So, uh, going back to childhood, definitely parents, uh, adults, and your peers will impose opinions uh, and expectations upon you. And what we do is we internalize those. 
from parents, adults, like teachers, uh, and our peers and siblings as well. And we form opinions and those voices, yeah, those internalized voices become part of, of, of the external experience. It could also be movies and TV shows as well. And also, you know, very subtle advertising gives us in, or implies expectations of us. So it may not be specifically what he or she said, but it could be, again, part of the culture. I know you've spoken about this before, Kevin, the cultural expectations of what you what you need to do to have a perfect body, to be married. Uh, you're not married yet. You don't have that perfect body. It doesn't need someone to say it specifically, but it's implied a lot. And that's what we need to be aware of. So it's about finding your, your own identity. What do you really want? What's going to make you happy? And, and why is it going to make you happy? Finding out what you really want, I think, is is the primary purpose uh, you should you should be looking at in this life. What do you want? Um, or basically, before that, even who are you? Who are you, and what do you want? Um, and then, by that way, we know we know who we are, and we know what we like, and what we don't like, and then we can sort of dismiss those intrusive opinions uh, of others that don't fit our our you know self concept that that is truly ours. Our yeah, our true, true self. I hope that answers. Thank you. Thank you for writing in, Jim. Sorry, sorry. That's uh, the, just just nice comments, the rest. So I've, I've been putting those up on the screen as we've been going along. So no, no question. Uh, would you also, before we uh, round up the show, Lee? Do you want to tell them about our new website? Yes, that's been running across the bottom as well. So it's www.theblackcountryblokes.co.uk. Um, we, we've got merchandise on there and every profit we make from that goes back into our men's support group um, just to fund things like teas and coffees and, uh, and things along that line and any future plans we have. Uh, so please go on there, take a look out and hopefully you'll buy some, some stuff off there. We do, we do a hoodie for 20 quid. And I don't think you can beat that, to be quite honest. <laughs> it's good quality let me tell you <laughs> uh, is there anything else lads before we wind end anyone wants to either ask Alex or just to mention just to thank you thank you for uh, sharing some of the tips I think even the sleeping stuff is really really useful so I appreciate your time yeah. I'll ditto you Aaron um, you know I've definitely had something from you that I can take away um, and try over the next couple of weeks or a couple of months. So, yeah, I really do appreciate it because you, you get to a week's end sometimes and you think, where do I go from here? I've, I feel I've tried everything, but I've, I've not tried that. So, yeah, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Oh, absolute pleasure, Craig. So I'm just going to advertise Tuesday show, Alexander, so why I'm gravitating on. Have a think about any sayings, quotes, expressions that have either helped your clients or helped you. On Tuesday, we've got uh, Charles coming on, who is the head coach, I believe, at Droitwich Boxing Club. I've known him as a boxer for years. Um, he's a therapist of some kind, but I'll tell you more about that. But he's coming on to talk to you about Boxing Positive, where we're getting boxing training work with Parkinson's disease. Now, my granddad Bernard had Parkinson's disease, and what a horrible, horrible illness it is. But it's proven fact that it's helping with their motor skills. So... You know me, two things I'm most passionate about, apart from my family in the world, is amateur boxing and mental health. So he's going to be coming on to tell you about all the wonderful stuff that he's doing. 
that's Tuesday, normal time at 7.30. And as always, if you miss us on here, you can always catch us on our YouTube channel, which please take the time to subscribe, or on all good podcast platforms. And if you have got time for an Apple Music, leave us a review because it just helps us climb the, climb the chart faster. It'd be handy if we get my words out. But Alexander, over to you. Any quotes, sayings that have got you through life? Um, well, I'm not really a quote kind of guy, but um, I found, I found, what I find really interesting is people's idea of, of failure, of, uh, being afraid to fail. And failure is simply a part of getting to that success. If you imagine the toddler falling over, trying to walk and getting back up, up again, and eventually the toddler does it. The toddler's not interested in people laughing at it. And, you know, normal people, sorry, regular adults wouldn't laugh at a child falling over toddler learning to walk anyway the idea there is that failure repeated attempts repeated failures are collectively part of the process to success and i'd really like people to to try and see their life and anything they do in it any failures as part of that success so that's really what i I'd, i'd say to them thank god mate okay well until we see each other next time take care of yourselves and each other And that's a wrap for another show. But if there are any comments or messages that you'd like us to read out for our next podcast, please be in touch. There are also lots of different organisations at the bottom of this page and hopefully they can help you or someone you care about. Please share this to spread the word. Until we talk next time, ta-ra-ra-bit. Listen, listen, listen.